1: What a shot, first OHL goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Medard has arrived here at the branch center, Is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save, watch out, watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Spash and Kosa. This is Dylan Gunther of the Noah Kings. This
4: is William Mack from from in here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark.
2: Hi, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moonset. Hey,
1: it's Paul of the 2-5 Stampede. This is Paul biond I play for Luleå. Hey, it's Corson Coleman from Brex Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Camel Blazers. It's Jesse Wolfis from Luleå Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is The Pipeline Show. A big trade in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, a number of coach announcements in the USHL, some smaller trades but telling trades in the Western Hockey League, and another college program that is uh, definitely not coming back for this coming season. Lots to get to. This is the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Welcome to Season 17, everybody, as I'm back from uh, vacation and the uh, batteries recharged, ready to go. Let's get right to it. Uh, first off, the program brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. And big news there as well, new website for Wilhawk. You can go to their website. It's WilhockBeefjerky.com. And I'll spell Wilhawk for you in case you're new. W-I-L-H-A-U-K Beef Jerky is the website. And uh, you can place your order. If you're in Western Canada, they'll ship it to you. You don't have to go to either Leduc or Spruce Grove. But if you're in the area, I highly recommend that you do. You can place your order right on their main page, and they'll ship it to you. And as it says, Wilhawk takes orders of any size. You can also get in contact with either location by phone if you'd wish, but might as well just place that order right on their main page. It's fantastic beef jerky. If you've never had it, I highly, highly recommend it. It's also a question of the week to ponder as I put that out on Twitter. It might be even two days ago now. As I'm speaking with you, it's Friday. Friday the 13th, I had actually uh, planned, I think I'm going to date this show as coming out on uh, Saturday the 14th. Didn't want to start the new season on a uh, Friday the 13th. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Should the Western Hockey League follow the lead of the Ontario Hockey League and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League by mandating full vaccination for all players, coaches, trainers, team and league staff, officials, volunteers and billet families? and I included the uh, link to the uh, OHL's vaccination policy. I did ask uh, Ron Robinson about that this week, as he is on this week's episode. Spoiler alert. Uh, So far, the uh, vote count, 79.3%, so just a hair under 80%, have responded yes, that the WHL should also have a full vaccination policy for the league. A couple of the comments. Gary says, I think they should, and even follow suit with fans that want to come to games Bold move that the Winnipeg Jets did, and what Gary's referring to is the Winnipeg Jets announced that if you want to go to a game, you're going to have to be fully vaccinated. I believe the Winnipeg Blue bombers of the Canadian Football League also have that same policy, so I'm not sure if it's a if it's a Manitoba thing only so far. I know some other NHL teams are reportedly considering it, including here in Alberta with the Edmonton Oilers, which would really surprise me. This is a province uh, very much like uh, some of those uh, southern states that um, have a very large segment of the population that uh, steadfast don't want to get vaccinated. So I guess part of me would be surprised if the the Oilers went that route. Personally, I would support it. Steve O says, I'm not going to go until they mandate vaccinations. I have two younger than 12-year-olds at home and I'm not going to put them at higher risk than I have to. Just a couple of the comments. You can find that uh, poll at TPS underscore Guy on Twitter, and you can leave your comment uh, whether you voted for or against it. This one also coming in, Ryan Haynes says, uh, My son's team, the Americans, were shut down for 10 days due to COVID in a shortened season. No big deal because there were no playoffs and, and the standings didn't matter. But with a full season planned, it would be a giant headache for the league to make up games. It makes fiscal sense for the WHL, in my opinion. That's what Ryan said. So we will see if that happens in the Western Hockey League. I know uh, Greg Drennan mentioned in his post last night that he he got the sense something was going to be announced uh, fairly soon. Uh, I will share that conversation with uh, Ron Robinson obviously, in the show today, and you'll be able to hear what he had to say when I asked him about it. All right, let's get to the news and notes. And I let off uh, by mentioning the big trade in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Now, it happened you know a little over a week ago, but I was on vacation uh, really playing catch-up. Uh, Since I came back, I was in uh, Cypress Hills in southern Saskatchewan. Not a whole lot of internet or uh, a cell phone uh, reception even. Uh, So really catching up on my news. Uh, But the big trade, the Rimouski Oceanic uh, trading Zachary Bolduc to the Quebec Rampart for three first-round picks and a sixth-rounder. Bolduc was uh, just drafted by the St. Louis Blues in the first round, 17th overall in the NHL draft. Quebec, one of the two teams vying to host the Memorial Cup in 2022. So the rempart already making uh, moves to improve their roster should they win the bid. I believe it's St. John, the other club, that is uh, in the mix for uh, hosting. Another trade in the queue saw Cape Breton trade Liam Kidney to the Acadie Bathurst-Titon, where he'll get to play now with uh, older brother Riley. Actually, I said older brother. Uh, Liam is the older brother, as he was just drafted uh, in the second round by the Montreal Canadiens last month. I mentioned trades in the Western Hockey League as well, not as uh, earth-shattering, uh, but since the, the Season 16 finale, there were a few trades. Kai Uchaz was picked up by the Red Deer Rebels from the Seattle Thunderbirds, a second-round pick in that deal going to Seattle. And this notable because Uchaz, remember last year he was suspended by the T-Birds, and I, I thought by the league, but that comes up in the conversation with Ron Robinson as well. But Uchaz didn't play uh, much at all last year. I think he got into a game or two. Maybe it was just preseason. I don't recall. Uh, But I believe the story was that he was uh, directing racial slurs at uh, teammate Makai Sanders. Now, so this trade sees him going from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference. The two conferences don't play at all against each other this year. So there's some separation there. But uh, I know there's been some blowback uh, against the league. Um, Scott Norton, the agent for Makai Sanders, put out a statement on Twitter condemning the that you, Chaz, is uh, back in the league. Uh, so that is something I asked Ron Robinson about as well. Uh, the other two trades that have happened here in the last couple of days, Regina has acquired Luke Bateman from the Seattle Thunderbirds. And uh, more notable, the Portland Winterhawks have picked up goaltender Mason Dunsford from the Tri-City Americans. Now, there was a lot of rumblings here recently that the Winterhawks might be getting Jesper Walstead, who was selected by the Minnesota Wild. But if you heard Walstead on the Pipeline show back in late June, early July, uh, that I asked him that question. you know, he, He's under contract for another year in the SHL with Lulio, and would he consider coming to the WHL? He said that he would talk to the team that drafts him and they would kind of work that out, but uh, his preference, or he felt it more likely that he would stay and play professionally against men uh, for an, at least the playing out that contract. Um, So not a huge surprise to me there to see Portland picking up a goaltender. Although, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but they do still have uh, Dante Giannuzzi and uh, Brock Gould, I believe, as their two goaltenders right now. Giannuzzi was the, the, the starter for the most part last year. He's a 2002-born player, so 19. Meanwhile, Brock Gould is a uh, 20-year-old, so he'd be into his uh, final year as an overager in the WHL. So maybe they're picking up Dunsford, not only signals that they're not getting Wallstead, but maybe that they might be uh, parting ways with gold as well. The Vancouver Giants picked up uh, Ty Thorpe from the Brandon Wheat Kings. And uh, Everett and Saskatoon made a swap as well. Brendan Lee, the forward from Everett, goes to Saskatoon. In return, the Silvertips get goaltender Cohen McInnes. I think both of those players uh, could, have, uh, could be stepping into good situations for themselves. So I like that trade actually for both teams. Lots of coach news in the USHL as uh, there will be six brand new and seven coaches making uh, coaching their first game in the USHL this coming season. That's seven teams out of 16, so almost half the league has a new coach this year. Uh, Greg Brown will be behind the bench of the Dubuque Fighting Saints. Omaha has added Chad Cassidy to be their head coach. Matt Curley goes to Des Moines. Uh, Scott Langer, who just is coming off a terrific run in the NAL in the NAHL, With the Aberdeen Wings, last season, Aberdeen went 51-4-0-1. They lost in the final. But uh, Scott Langer should be a nice addition to the Fargo Force. Another uh, NAHL coach, Rocky Russo, he goes to the Lincoln Stars. He was coaching the Bulls. They lost in the playoffs to the Aberdeen Wings last year, but uh, they'll have a chance to meet on the ice at the USHL level as he's with uh, Lincoln now. Matt Smabby, a former... NHLer with the Tampa Bay Lightning is now behind the bench of the Waterloo Blackhawks, taking over for P.K. Handley, who's uh, no longer the coach there as he stepped down. I believe he's still the uh, GM. And uh, interesting one here: Tom Upton, who signed to be the head coach of the Madison Capitals before last season, but then the Capitals didn't play; they took the season off because of COVID situations in Wisconsin. So now he finally gets to coach his first game of the Madison Capitals this coming season. So lots of coaching changes in the ushl for, ahead of this coming year and a uh, bad news uh, for robert morris uh, players and the coaching staff there as uh, the school has announced that they'll consider coming back in time for the 2022 23 season instead of this coming year and that i talked about blowback uh, uh, earlier there's been a lot of uh, criticism of uh, robert morris the university and how they've handled this they've left players kind of uh, twisting in the wind i know there's been a couple of players who said you know thanks for this thanks for letting us know this late in the season guys who were you know obviously trying to find other places to play but we're hoping that um, rmu would be back onto the ice but uh, not to be for the colonials this coming season so tough situation there i know a lot of people are saying they got the money it's not a money problem they just don't want to spend it on hockey interesting story to follow just today, seeing the Anaheim Ducks have made uh, three signings of players they just drafted. That would be Mason McTavish out of the OHL with the Peterborough Peets and Olin Zellweger of the Everett Silvertips. I expect both of those guys to be back in uh, the CHL this year. Uh, and but more interesting, Sasha Pastajov who uh, has now signed by the is signed by the Anaheim Ducks, supposed to go to Notre Dame. Obviously, that's out. So expect him now to end up in the OHL with the Guelph Storm, the team that picked up his rights so you actually drafted him like in the 14th round, take a flyer on a guy and see what happens. Well, that's why you do it. Sasha Postujov uh, is probably going to be an impact player there for the Guelph Storm. So nice pickup. I'm sure they're sending the Anaheim Ducks a, a bottle of wine to, as a, a thank you. All right, well, let's get to the guest list. And uh, as you know, all my guests will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. And it's been a while since I've been able to talk to you about Troubled Monk because of the uh, last couple of weeks off. But uh, as I was on my trip, took some Troubled Monk with me. It was fantastic to have out camping like that. I had the uh, Troubled Tea as well as a uh, Taster Pack with me. Went down great. But there's a couple of new brews that I would like to get my hands on. There's an interesting one, a four-pack, that has two different options for you. It's called This Black IPA and That White IPA. This or That. The can looks sharp. Uh, but I want to know how it tastes, so I'm going to have to place my order with Troubled Monk here shortly. And, of course, if you're in Alberta and you live between Calgary and St. Albert, including Edmonton and Sherrod Park and Leduc and Red Deer and Innisfail and Olds and all those towns along Highway 2 between the two cities, you can get your delivery right to your door for absolutely free if you order online at troubledmonk.com slash shop and you use promo code PIPELINE. You don't have to pay for that shipping, and it comes right to your door. Craft beverages we sharing, and I say beverages because they have spirits and soda as well. It's not just beer. Check out their website at troubledmonk.com. We begin Season 17 in fine style, as uh, my first guest is Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News. He's going to recap the Holinka-Gretzky tournament that uh, happened while I was on holiday, so I didn't get a chance to watch any of it. Well, Stephen did. And he can tell us exactly what happened, how Russia got to the gold medal and captured it in dominating fashion over a darling team in Slovakia, the host country, who was looking to get their first gold medal at the uh, Holinka gretzky Cup. Some individual performances worth noting. Uh, Obviously, Canada wasn't there this year, so we talked to Stephen about that as well and uh, what Canada not being there meant for the other countries. That's where we'll start the program. From there, that conversation with Ron Robinson, uh, the commissioner of the Western Hockey League. Lots to cover with Ron. Then two other commissioners will get to. Don Lucia, who's now the commissioner of the CCHA conference in the NCAA. Is that conference back? The WCHA is no more. Seven of those teams forming a new conference in the CCHA. And St. Thomas coming on board as well. So an eight-team conference getting ready to start play this year. and Don Lucia heading things up. We will end it with Bill Robertson, who is the new commissioner of the United States Hockey League. Lots to talk to him about as well. So, we got a full show. Let's kick it off with Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News next here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Will Hawk Beef Jerky. Welcome to season 17, everybody. And Raymond stays with him. Lafreniere pokes it ahead. Still has it. Rolling pucks. Lafreniere works it. Shoots scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making.
3: This is Alexis Lafreniere of
2: the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
1: The Troubled Month Brew of the Week is the one that started it all. Tell us more about this classic, bud. Golden Gates Golden Ale, an easy-drinking golden ale that you can use as your gateway to craft beer. This beer highlights the best malt in the world grown right here in our backyard. Player comparable, Nathan McKinnon. Underrated, yet awesome, every time out. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. Tell me his name again. With
4: Gay
3: Flaming. Who?
1: Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show as we kick off Season 17 of the program. And, of course, The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. And uh, my first guest of the new season is Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the program. First time on the program, so it's great to meet you. Thanks for being available in the offseason.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: Well, it's a great chance for me to uh, kind of Catch up to speed. I've been uh, away for the last couple of weeks, so uh, I'm completely playing catch up right now. And while I was away, the Hlinka Gretzky Cup uh, happened, uh, which is it's always a fun tournament to to watch. Uh, although it's in the off season, so you never know what it's going to be like. And this year was a little different because Canada wasn't there at all. Uh, going into the tournament, your expectations compared to what actually happened on the ice was there a big difference? Did it live up to expectations or no?
0: I wasn't totally sure what to kind of expect. Obviously not having Canada there kind of made it more wide open where we look at the history of this tournament. This is always Canada's event. And mm-hmm. Russia had won the previous uh, event that we did see back in 2019. So we knew they'd be strong. And, of course, this is one of the strongest Russian teams I think we've actually seen at this tournament. And uh, having Matvey Mishkoff definitely helps. But Marushchenko um, was great. Uh, Ruslan Gazazov was great. So that was a Russian team that was just kind of flying all cylinders. So we kind of expected them to to go most of the way, and they, they did, they won every game, but I don't think anyone expected Slovakia to make the finals. Like This was a strong Slovakian team, and uh, ha- having so many great young talents like Simon Nemec and Jurj Slavkovsky, that it, it was like, okay, maybe they'll get a bronze, and that they'll tie what they've done, uh, they did back in 1998, but no, they actually went out there and got silver, so it wasn't a great final game, but uh, I think the Slovakius kind of rise there, not having Canada there, there kind of made that uh, something interesting to watch because they were they had a perfect record going all the way to the finals uh, against Russia, and they they beat out USA, they beat Sweden, they beat Finland. That's not something you kind of expect to see at any international tournament. So that was really hmm. cool to see.
1: Yeah, that is a great story for sure. we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk more about them in a second. Uh, you mentioned uh, Matt Vemichkov uh, with the Russians and how strong that Russian team was. Wasn't really a shocker to for them to come away with gold this year because they were the defending champs. Canada wasn't there, as you mentioned. And I think expectation going in was that he was going to be the the tournament leader in scoring. He ended up being uh, that 13 points in five games. I think that ties the, the tournament record. Is there at all, in your mind, an asterisk because Canada wasn't there? Uh, I think the Russians and Canada eventually would have met along the way at some point. Um, so, do you do you take anything away from Mitch Gov in his performance, or did did he deliver exactly what everybody expected?
0: I think he delivered exactly what we expected, and he did score eight goals in this tournament. And I'll say I was more impressed maybe with the way he played at the U18 tournament because, like at that, it's still. A lot of guys were still kind of in their full hockey mode. So right. having to perform at that level and get the 12 goals, 16 points he had that tournament was, in my opinion, a bit more impressive. He did have a couple of empty net goals, which kind of inflated his stats at this tournament. But mm-hmm. we, we, I think no matter what, he was going to be one of the best players, whether or not you had Canada. So uh, I think just the fact that he ended up doing kind of what we expected was uh, was good. And that he, like, it just, he never disappoints when he plays internationally. It doesn't matter what's the U16, U17, U18 level. He always finds a way to really show up. So uh, he, he played exactly what I expected
1: not eligible for the NHL draft until 2023. And neither is Dalibor Dvorsky, the next guy who was uh, there in scoring with 12 points in five games. And I don't know if that was expected from him necessarily, uh, but certainly made a name for himself in this tournament if he wasn't already a name for a lot of scouts.
0: Yeah, I didn't love him necessarily in the medal round, but this is a guy that I think he definitely deserved heading into this tournament top five consideration for 2023. And uh, he, he was basically the story early on. He had... Uh, he had hat-tricks in the first and second game, which is obviously pretty impressive on its own. And when, when Slovakia was doing all the damage and really surprised the people, he was the one kind of there. My one concern is that maybe he... Shift to shift, he's not super noticeable, and a lot of his goals were kind of just like rebounds and being in close, but the fact that like the numbers don't lie. He put on an incredible performance, and uh, that was really fun to watch because he was the leading scorer heading into the final game, and it, like if, if you go out there and beat Mischkoff in scoring, mm. that's hard to do, and he pretty much did it right up until the end.
1: Oh, interesting. So there's two guys for the 2023 draft who uh, led the way in uh, scoring at the Holinka-Gretzky Cup this year. Uh, Ruslan Gazezov, uh, the... Uh, Russian, not a big guy. Ten points though in five games, so had a big performance as well. I know he's drafted by the London Knights. I don't know where he's playing this coming season. Do you?
0: Uh, I he has not committed to anywhere. He was part of the the Evgeni um, organization for the last couple of years, but he, to my knowledge, has not committed to anywhere for next year.
1: Okay. Uh, as for him as a player, uh, what can you tell me from this tournament? And, and you know, if if he does come to play in the CHL this year with the London Knights, what sort of an impact? Could he uh, uh, bring to the Knights...
0: He's a really good playmaker. He was the top scoring uh, twenty twenty uh, two draft prospect at this uh, tournament. Uh, but it, part of it was just he just found a way to always set up his, the the players on his team. Uh, anytime Michkov was near him, he made up a great pass there, and um, it, he just kind of just did everything for the team. He was a really good defensive player. He plays really good along the boards, and yeah, he, he's not going to be the flashiest guy, but he'll be your bread and butter guy that will just kind of do everything offensively. And we we saw him kind of show his more off his. Goal-oriented side. In fact, he won the Olympic games uh, in 2020, but this was more of showing how he could be as a playmaker, a setup guy, and I thought he did really good. So uh, I, I, there's a lot of potential here for this guy to be a potential maybe top 10 pick this year.
1: Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News is uh, my guess is we're looking back at the holinka Gretzky Cup that uh, just happened. Uh, what well, I guess it's about a week old now. Uh, Ivan Miroshchenko. Oh, well, I butchered that. Ivan Miroshchenko. I'm doing it again. This is a tricky name for me. (laughs) Miro Shinchenko. Thank you. Uh, Easy for you to say. This is a guy with size, 6'1", 185 pounds, uh, and most of the guys we've talked about so far have been on the smaller side. Another guy eligible for 2022. Is this a player that we should be thinking of as a top 10 pick?
0: Absolutely. He's got the physical size. He's a tremendous skater. I hate using the term elite to describe pretty much any draft prospect outside of like a guy like Shane Wright or, or even Neve Mitchkoff or kind of Bedard. But this guy is just as good as it gets for, uh, someone over six foot in terms of skating, really hard to push off the puck. Like he, he's, he can hit a player like he's like a sumo. Actually, a sumo wrestlers don't exactly throw hits, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> He hits like F one fifty basically, and that's really fun to kind of watch how he plays that. But he he's just got a great shot. Like this is a guy that you give him space and he unleashes shots like you see out of Steven Stamkos or Alex Ovechkin. So uh, I love watching him play. He's a blast no matter what, and he he just puts up a ton of goals kind of anywhere he goes. So uh, his four goals I believe this at this tournament were like the least he's ever had at an international event, which is kind of just saying something about how good he is when he gets the puck on a stick. So uh, big uh, big props for him for the performance he put up
1: props for you the f-150 uh, catering to the alberta audience right now that's that's so well done now we talked about dvorsky for the slovaks now they're not going to get this far on one player alone so who else was uh, with that club that uh, got him into the gold medal game
0: well the stats will not look fantastic for him but uh, Restislav eliosh i thought played outstanding for the slovaks he really had to like the americans had some good opportunities in the, the the bit of a blowout game in game one, but he really stood out there. I thought he looked good, and he was the only goalie that he played in every single game of the tournament. He got kind of – his stats looked bad because Ru- basically Russia just – destroyed Slovakia in the final game there was no category where Slovakia was really competitive in and mm-hmm. Elios just put in a really good effort no matter what I think so uh big guy for him for sure obviously Simon Nemec I think he may have been the best overall player in the entire tournament there was never a really a, a bad moment for him the uh the defenseman uh definitely a, a guy that is going to throw himself in consideration for the top three for the 2022 draft and while, while I still think it's the guys like uh Wright and 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 Lambert and Savoy kind of have the strength hold there. Uh, he put in a really good effort there. And, and so uh, Solskowsky again, good size there, six foot four, over two hundred and twenty pounds, I believe, and uh, throw hits, can just kind of do everything. Maybe defensively, I don't love his play, but overall, from an offensive standpoint, this is a guy with real top ten potential for this year. So, uh, a really fun Slovakian team where a lot of these guys are probably going to play at the World Juniors because. There won't be a U18 top division tournament for these guys. They did not qualify because of a couple years ago, pre-COVID. So it would be exciting to see these guys get another chance at the U20 level.
1: Awesome. So that would be here in Edmonton again uh, this coming uh, December and January. Um, Stephen, the other clubs that were, or the other countries that were represented in this tournament, were there some disappointments along the way or did it kind of play out the way you expected outside of obviously Slovakia elevating their game?
0: That one was definitely the surprise. I thought we'd maybe see a bit more out of the Americans because every couple of years they're really kind of to, to really push out there. But uh, this is a team that only beat Germany. So not exactly a great performance. And they looked like they were going to go out there and, and beat the Swedes and the Swedes came back. So not a great tournament for uh, the Americans. I did like Cole Knubel. I thought he was the, the best player in camp from what we saw online. And then uh, watching him play again at this tournament, I thought he was one of the better players. Um Germany, what a disappointment because they actually really gave Sweden a run for their money early in that first game, and then they only ended up scoring five goals in the entire tournament, and and I just allowed so many. It wasn't great. Switzerland didn't really show anything, but that was a roster I didn't really like from the the, the start. Um, I kind of was expecting a bit more push out of Finland when when Finland went out there and played Slovakia I was like okay this is over right this will be Finland and no just every category Slovakia kind of impressed but otherwise in an 18 tournament there's there's only so much you can really do but sure. uh again Slovakia making as far as they did was the biggest surprise
1: any uh individual performances from guys maybe you didn't expect uh, that were sort of off your radar that uh, put themselves on your radar after this event
0: uh I, I really liked uh, Alex Shearnik the uh, Slovakian winger, this guy, I just seemed like anytime there was a goal game scored, he was one of the setup guys, and he didn't get a lot of the attention because of, of guys like Repchik and Filip Masar and uh, Szkovsky and guys like that up front. But I thought he played pretty good. I uh, also Casper uh, Kulinunumi, and I know I've definitely messed his last name up, but uh, the Finnish defenseman, I thought he was just every game, just just a model consistency guy guy there uh, I believe he had six assists and one of the better defensemen in that tournament where finland didn't have a whole lot going for him but for them but i thought he played consistent and i thought michael d'angelo the the winger for the states also played really good he was kind of equally good as a shooter and a playmaker i didn't really know much about him beforehand but uh, and I, I just thought he was good at camp but then when he actually played at this tournament i thought he was one of the better guys so uh so those are some of the guys that kind of really stood out to me
1: all right um uh, i didn't ask you about this uh, before we uh, connected but did you have a chance to watch? Any of the like the uh, the summer showcase event in Plymouth uh, or uh, Hockey Canada's uh, uh, World Junior camp? Did you see either of those two events at all?
0: Unfortunately, the Hockey Canada one. I, I think they only really just put video clips out, so we didn't really get a good viewing of that. Okay. Uh, like no, no streams. With the USA uh, camp, unfortunately, I kind of missed most of it. But uh, uh, that's another one where it would have been really cool to see Canada there and just like, see a bit more competition because yeah. it would have been nice to see. A more condensed American roster, and we know that this is their event. They never do that, but uh, yeah, it's kind of just. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to see as much as I wanted.
1: Okay, no worries. Uh, any idea if the World Junior A Challenge is happening this year? I, I'm not sure if uh, if I've heard one way or the other.
0: Uh, right now, it's still scheduled, but uh, we believe it was the U17s that recently got canceled. So the World Junior A Challenge is still going to happen. And my, to my knowledge, uh, I believe uh, December twelfth it begins. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's one of my favorites. I, I got my start in junior at hockey, so it's uh, something I always make sure to keep an eye on.
1: Stephen, listen, I really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you again.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: That's Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News. First time uh, I've been able to have him on the show. I had originally contacted Ryan Kennedy, and uh, he's on holidays. so told me to reach out and get Stephen because he covered the Holika uh, the Gretzky Cup as well. You see those guys, uh, you look at either of their Twitter accounts or the hockey news accounts. You see them interacting all the time. And uh, although Ryan Kennedy is the quote unquote prospect guy for the hockey news, Stephen Ellis all over it as well. Did a great job there. I'll definitely add him into the rotation moving forward. Next up on the pipeline show is a conversation with Ron Robison. He's the commissioner of the Western hockey league. Lots to cover with him and a very timely information as well. Camp's open here in three weeks Knock on wood, everything gets off to a great and a successful start. We'll talk to him about that next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhuck Beef Jerky. And Dallas fed him the buck. Now Dallas spins and fires. Carter doesn't have it, does he? No, he kept it out. What a stuff by Carter Hart right on the goal
2: line. Whoop! Skipped off his glove and it stayed out by millimeter. Hey, it's Carter Hart of the Everett Silver Tips, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
4: There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time.
1: Okay, we are back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Fleming. Of course, the program brought to you by Hawk Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in all of Alberta. I'm sure my next guest, who's based in Calgary, has had his uh, f- fair share of beef jerky over the years. Ron Robinson, the Commissioner of the Western Hockey League. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Robinson. How are you, and uh, how was the summer?
2: Doing well, Gee. Thanks very much. The summer is uh, obviously a busy time for all of us, uh, preparing for the upcoming season, but uh, we're excited. Uh, the uh, training camps are opening uh, september one and we're uh, we can't wait to get things going
1: is this off season a little bit more like a normal off season compared to you know what everybody's been going through the last uh, 17 months or so
2: well it certainly feels a lot more normal than last off season that's for sure when there's so much uncertainty uh, uh, we are certainly in contact with the provincial state health authorities constantly on uh, what things look like as far as the start of the season is concerned but we're very Mm -hmm. optimistic that everything's going to start on time and and we're uh, very excited so especially for the players and their families and uh, and our teams who have uh, been uh, been through a very difficult season last year.
1: All right. Well, we'll get to this coming season in a second before we do. Let's reflect on what the last 17 months has been like for you and for the league. And after, you know, the eventual season did start in spring after a couple of pushbacks to the start of the season. Eventually you got to play and most teams played at least twenty games. I think it was just uh, Kelowna and Tri City who didn't hit the twenty game mark. How important was that for for the league, for the players, for the teams? And would you say, looking back now, that uh, you know after a few months, uh, you can reflect and say that how successful it was?
2: Well, it was a difficult year, obviously, for everyone, concerned with uh, not only hockey, but um, society in general, and uh, everybody was uh, attempting to work their way through very difficult circumstances, and we were the same. Uh, It was difficult on everyone concerned, uh, whether it was our players who who, uh, were losing the opportunity to train and develop at the highest level in the system, or... Our ownership, which we're dealing with um, a, le- a season without any revenue, so it was extremely difficult. And and I think we did the right thing at the end of the day to make sure we delivered a development season for the players. Uh, you could argue at this age, it's extremely important for their ongoing development to not miss a year, if you will. And uh, we we've uh, credit to our ownership for stepping mm-hmm. up and making sure that happened. And so we were pleased to get the games in that we did. Uh, obviously, we would love to have had playoffs and extended our season but we felt that uh, we really needed to deliver some form of development season for the players and uh, we're pleased we got uh, we were able to accomplish that
1: i'm glad you mentioned the ownership because i don't imagine there was a team that made money this year without being able to sell tickets or anything like that so this was a really a tough pill to swallow for ownership but at the same time they got into this with uh, i'm sure with the intention of well of it being uh, profitable but also development hockey and, and how important it is for the players
2: Well, that's right. The players' uh, development is the most important uh, consideration. Uh, Obviously, um, we have to make sure that our teams uh, are financially viable moving forward and and uh, there was some. It was, these were difficult times uh, for many of our franchises. And uh, but having said that, uh, we're looking forward to a much more normal season ahead, and and uh, getting fans back in our building, and and uh, creating the type of revenue our teams need in order to uh, continue to provide these opportunities for these young players.
1: Knock on wood, we don't have to ever go through this kind of a uh, 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 what we had the last uh, 18 months ever again. You know are there some lessons you learned from it though you know you had the hub in uh, in Regina different format here in Alberta and again different format in BC and, and in the states would you do anything differently <sighs>
2: Well, I think we were very, very pleased with the um, results of our protocols. We worked directly with the health authorities and our chief medical officer, uh, Dr. Duran Naidu from Edmonton, as a matter of fact. And and, um, we, I think, established a really good standard, and I was very impressed with the... uh, with the commitment our players made to comply with those protocols uh, we had very minimal number of cases very little disruption to our schedule and and so consequently that was uh, that was uh, we view that as very successful because you don't want to start a certainly a shortened season and have a lot of disruption and yeah. we were able to avoid that for a large part and uh, you know to go through a regina hub where we had uh, uh you know all of our east division teams there and not have one issue at all that was really quite remarkable so we were very pleased with that and i think that you know it really demonstrated to me how committed our players are and how they um uh you know we're just like us wanting to make sure that they got their season in
1: ron robinson the commissioner of the western hockey league is my guest as we uh now will shift gear and, and look ahead to this coming year and I know it doesn't take, you just watch the news and it doesn't take long to see there's growing concern now with this Delta variant in many jurisdictions uh, in the Western Hockey League's uh, footprint that are starting to reinstate masking protocols and things like that. Uh, you're in Alberta, so am I, so we know the province here is looking at things very differently than a lot of other places. Are, are you concerned right now that maybe we don't get off the ground uh, in September with camps in the regular season in October as back to normal as we all hope?
2: Well, as you said, uh, with the variant, we're monitoring that very closely, and uh, we're in contact uh, with the health authorities, and uh, we follow all the public health measures, and so we are obviously subject to what that might Develop into, but no, we remain uh, very optimistic. We have no indication that our training camps won't open on September one and our season starting on October first. Uh, uh, but each jurisdiction is something we we monitor very closely, whether it's our U.S. division or or uh, each of our provinces, each of which are, of course are governed by provincial health authorities. And and uh, we've got a uh, we will continue to sort of maintain constant contact with them as we just uh, proceed. But we're we're again. Um, Uh, optimistic that things will get started on time and uh, and that's certainly what we're planning for right now
1: any changes uh, or any issues with the border right now uh, for players to go back and forth across whether they're canadian-born players playing in the states or vice versa or just teams traveling
2: yeah we're we're in contact with the uh, canadian government uh, regular basis to um, monitor uh, developments there of course as you know the public is uh, Canadians have uh, the Canadian government is taking the position that uh, Canadians are welcoming uh, U.S. Uh, citizens in and fully vaccinated citizens. So uh, we're hopeful that the U.S. will reciprocate a little later this month, and uh, so we're monitoring those situations and how that might uh, impact on our uh, cross-border travel.
1: Speaking of fully vaccinated, I know the OHL and the Q have announced already that all the players, coaches, team staff, I think media as well, covering the games, uh, will have to be fully vaccinated. Uh, does the WHL have a similar policy coming? I haven't seen one, but again, I've been in the Saskatchewan woods. So um, where where does the league stand on that right now?
2: No, we have strongly recommended at this point to our players and to our staffs on the hockey operations side to be, fully vaccinated in time for training camp and, and the start of the regular season and uh, we have not taken the uh, position of mandating it yet. Uh, we're very fortunate uh, through um, education and discussions with the players and staff, we're over 95% currently vaccinated. Uh, we're not sure we'll need to take the mandated position, but quite frankly, it's in everyone's best interest to be vaccinated if in order to uh, to play in our league because of the uh, cross-border travel in the U.S. and and uh, Currently, some restrictions that are in place in Manitoba for quarantine. If you're not vaccinated, so um, I think it really speaks to the fact that everyone needs to be vaccinated. We're hopeful we'll be able to get to 100, uh, and uh, and we'll deal with those circumstances uh, where there are some exceptions along the way.
1: I agree with you completely that everybody should. That said, why not just mandate it?
2: Yeah, that's something we're continuing to consider. We we you know we started out in the process. We were hopeful that. Uh, the restrictions would be relaxed further. Uh, that hasn't occurred. And so, as a result of that, we may have to take some further measures and, and mandate it. But at this particular stage, uh, we haven't taken that next step.
1: Okay. Uh, right now, uh, this coming season, no interconference play. So the East and West won't cross over and play each other. Uh, so, really, it's essentially two leagues under one WHL umbrella. Is that just this season, or can you look ahead past this season and, and know that uh, it's going to stay the same uh, or go back to what it was?
2: Well, I think it's just the, the one year um, that we're and, – and certainly, again, it's all due in large part to uh, – to um, the more trying to predict the environment we're playing in, as far as the jurisdictions are concerned. As you know, last year we we had the four divisions or four jurisdictions where we played the games, and mm-hmm. and so I think we're just conscious of the, uh, the crossover and travel and what that might look like. Um, uh, we envision going back to the full interlock on a longer term basis, and of course in playoffs we'll have our playoffs where we have our western conference champion playing the eastern conference champion so there will be crossover at the end of the season but uh, for the time being uh, we decided to take a more cautious approach for this season uh, uh, recovering from the uh, the covid situation
1: well part of that would i would assume would be financial uh, recovery as well it's got to be expensive for teams to cross over like that
2: yeah, that's one certainly that's one consideration, but I think the at the end of the day, it's more predictable to be in your own home jurisdiction, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and less travel into multiple jurisdictions, especially in our league where we have six, of course, individual health authorities, all which govern very differently, uh, and uh, <clears throat> the more predictable you can get into those situations, the better.
1: Right. Uh, Alright, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, the rebranding of the Portland Winterhawks, new logo and all of that. We're seeing more of the Moose Jaw uh, Warriors logo with the, uh, the the Moose head as well. Is the league involved in this or, or is that just the, the teams doing that themselves? And we're seeing that in other sports as well. The Cleveland Indians just changed their logo and the, the Edmonton Eskimos did the same up here with the Elks. Um, is that a, a league thing or are these teams doing that themselves?
2: any brand change uh, that occurs in the league at the team level uh, is in we have discussions immediately with the team as to what their plans are so we've been in, con- in constant contact with Bor- Portland and Moose Jaw referred to as well so those teams yes we've been in discussion with them and we're aware of the plans and of course the league has to approve any any changes to the team identity or brands and um we were pleased with the work that Portland did, and uh, they responded under the new ownership very quickly to the situation and uh, I think they've reached a, a position where everyone's really embraced the new identity and it's their own identity which was really important in those circumstances so um, we are sensitive to the uh, the concerns raised and uh, and our teams are have responded and and uh, yes, they're in, in touch with us immediately uh, when they uh, are starting to consider any changes to their team identity
1: now i don't know if there was uh, people who were asking for these teams to make changes or not i i don't know where if that is where uh, the the momentum came from or not are there other teams in the league where that might happen i know the spokane chiefs obviously have that sort of theme for their club as well but i don't know if there's a a request or demand for them to change
2: no, there hasn't been in Spokane. Uh, the only markets that we've um, experienced that right now are Portland and Moose Jaw, and the teams have uh, responded, uh, of course, uh, over uh, you know, a lengthy period of time here and to both those concerns that have been raised and also to uh, reevaluate their position and decide on what their identity would look like moving forward. So in Portland's case, they've moved forward with their new identity, and in Moose Jaw they're still in the process of considering the, uh, what that might look like down the road.
1: All right. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Kai Uchaz situation. Uh, he was traded from Seattle to Red Deer this offseason. I know he was suspended by the league uh, in, I believe it was indefinitely, and uh, now has been cleared to play again. Uh, I'm not sure what the the, the, uh, the entire circumstances were with his time in Seattle and how and how that ended. I know Makai Sanders was uh, on the receiving end of some, uh, I believe it was racially uh, motivated slurring or something along those lines. How did that situation develop here? Now that he's been uh, cleared, Uchaz has been cleared to come back to the league.
2: Well, you're correct in that the player did not play last season. He wasn't uh, technically suspended. He was um, he was um, sent home as a result of disciplinary action by the team, in effect suspended, I guess you could say. But um, we really believe in the fact that we have to give players every opportunity to uh, um, through training and and education. uh... demonstrate to us that they have uh... uh a uh, rehabilitated, I guess, with respect to these issues and uh, to make sure that we give them every opportunity to have a second chance in the league. And and so consequently, that's exactly what occurred in this particular case. The players involved were required to go through um, extensive uh, diversity training and, uh, and education, and uh, we were satisfied in the particular case of Mr. Uchaz that he'd been able to accomplish that. And uh, so as a result, he was... Um, uh, granted permission to uh, rejoin uh, the Western Hockey League, and uh, and uh, the trade
1: occurred. Now I know Mackay Sanders' agent Scott Norton was critical of that decision uh, on social media. Um, was the Sanders family consulted in in the the process at all about uh, Uchess coming back and being cleared to play, and and if not, why not?
2: We were um, in contact with the Seattle team at the time of the incident, and were satisfied that the actions that they took were were um, were uh, uh, more than uh, satisfactory from our standpoint. Uh, I think when you remove players from for an entire season that 's a significant uh, sanction, and I think there was support provided to, particularly to the player impacted and and training uh, uh, significant diversity training provided to the players that were the offenders in the particular case. so we feel overall that uh, it was handled the proper way, and uh, we explained that to the agent and uh, and um, and uh, we have also had ongoing discussions. Seattle has been handling the communications with the with uh, the player uh, uh, impacted in Seattle.
1: Okay. Uh, All right, let's look at the upcoming draft Uh, again. It's uh, Usually it's a 15-year-old draft, 14-15-year-old draft, that uh, usually is held in the springtime. Uh, It's been pushed now to December. If there was ever going to be a year where you could scrap it and go to a 16-year-old draft, this, I think, would have been the year. Why not? Why not go to the 16-year-old draft to match the OHL and the Q?
2: Well, I think when you look at our history, uh, the – The Bantam draft or U15 draft or now what we refer to as the WHL Prospects draft has been very, very successful for the Western Hockey League and for a number of reasons. Uh, The the territory in which we operate allows players an opportunity to plan and it's a major adjustment when you're being... Uh, drafted by a player that might be um, considerable distance away and uh, you have to prepare for that aspect of it as well It gives our, our team some more opportunity to expose the player to the um, to the city and to the uh, the program that they're going to be joining and so the the draft uh, has worked and uh, the current age group has worked extremely well for us over the years having said that yes it will be different it will be uh, um, certainly an opportunity for our teams to evaluate those players uh, over a longer period of time and, and as a result we'll we'll certainly as we do always so we continue to look at these things and and um and discuss what uh, the draft might look like in the, in the future but we're very pleased with the success of our u15 draft uh, over the years it's uh, produced very good results for the uh, for our teams and for the league overall
1: so you'll have the that draft in december the american prospect draft also in december and then uh, the 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 normal draft again in the springtime.:
2: That's what's currently scheduled, but um, you know I think uh, as always, we continue to have discussions internally and uh, um, and uh, we'll certainly uh, see how this plays out and what the experience looks like as far as the December draft is concerned.
1: Uh, how was the new CHL streaming package received by fans? Well, there were some challenges with it. I think overall we're
2: excited about the fact that we have a new uh, partner in Verizon that has the capabilities of delivering a, a very high-quality product, uh, and we did so in, in many of our markets, but we didn't have the consistency that we wanted in the uh, in the launch, if you will, last season with a shortened season. As it turns out, it became a pretty important test for us to get things corrected, and we've been working very hard in the off-season to uh, both on the technology front and on the uh, on the various applications that, that will be available to our fan base to really deliver what we said we were going to deliver last year so uh, the system is going to look much better uh, at the start of the season we're confident in that and uh, we've been working toward uh, delivering on all levels of the uh, not only the quality of the of the streaming but also the uh, various applications so i think you're going to see a state-of-the-art type of program starting uh, uh, this fall with our games uh, uh, in the regular season with all of our markets.
1: Okay. I, I thought it looked really good. I did miss the, the ability to have a home and away uh, broadcast team option. Uh, I know when I watch the Old Kings, I don't want to listen to Andrew Peart. I have to share the booth with them half the season already. So Do uh, you know if that's something that might be uh, optional for this coming season?
2: Well, there's two things that were really critical in our review. One was to make sure we have consistency in the video quality of the across the league so that uh, our standards are consistent and, right. and then the other is, of course delivering both home and away radio audio, and that's uh, that's going to be that's going both of those features are going to be in place for the season.
1: Fantastic. I also liked it, it with what I liked about the old system was where you had the, the window where you could have four games going at the same time. And I, I found that really easy to switch from one game to another. I didn't find it as simple to do uh, with this last year's package. So uh, that would be a request for me as well, if you could bring that back.
2: Some of those areas are still key, a work in progress <laughs> and uh, uh, we will get there. I can assure you that.
1: Uh, a Camp's opening up in three weeks, as you said, uh, as early as September 1st. Um, I, I know this is something you and I have talked about in the past. If I go to a WHL roster page right now uh, for 21 of the 22 teams, they're blank for preseason uh, uh, rosters. The Edmonton Oil Kings are the only one that have an updated roster, and they've had it all throughout the offseason. How difficult is that to... Mandate, I guess, from a league perspective, that all the teams are updated.
2: Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of things on our to-do list, and that's probably one thing that just hasn't got to the top of the list. To be quite right. honest with you, it's something I think I agree that we should be uh, attempting to do and and uh, make it more current, if you will. So we are uh, we are addressing that. And uh, but uh, as you can appreciate, uh, it's been a very challenging year for yeah. uh, for our teams, and and uh, and uh, we're just um, yeah we're really focused on trying to. Uh, Bring back some of those elements, and or bring those elements uh, that uh, you've spoken about, and uh, we'll be we'll be working on that for the start of the season.
1: I know there's a, there's a part of me that felt bad about asking the question because I know you probably have a million things <laughs> to do, and it's 999 on the list. So uh, uh, forgive me for that, but it's been something I've asked about before. Uh, lastly, uh, U Sport teams are announcing their incoming freshman players, and it, it, uh, to me, it just further reinforces how many WHL uh, alums are taking advantage of that scholarship package. And it seems to be a growing number every year. Are there changes always happening with the scholarship package or or you know are there new things that, This is obviously something that uh works really well between the w h l and u sports
2: yes uh you know I think first of all it 's a wonderful program, and uh, it's great to see each year more and more of our graduates taking advantage of it and, and uh, uh, the WHL scholarship program, I think, speaks for itself in terms of the uh, what it delivers for the players. Our graduate players uh, are are taking full advantage of playing—not uh, not even attending outstanding universities in Canada, but playing at a high level of hockey. So I think it really provides those players with the best of the world, best of both worlds, and, can, and allows them to continue their development as a player and yet move on with their academics and and pursue the career of their choice. So we're we're delighted uh, with the high level of activity there is every year and uh, and the number of players who are benefiting and uh, you know when you look at it it's uh, it's probably the one area of our league that's where the story hasn't been told uh, adequately but it's something we're extremely proud of and uh, and uh, every year we're excited to see the rosters just as you mentioned as to the in canada west or across youth sports for that matter to see how many of our players are taking advantage of the scholarship program
1: before I let you go, are there things that uh, are haven't been uh, talked about yet but, uh, during our conversation here that you're looking forward to this season? I don't know, you know, will the Canada-Russia series happen this year or, you know, I, I expect there's a Memorial Cup at least uh, – we all hope so. Um, uh, other things like that?
2: Yes, uh, I think I can say that we're, we're optimistic that all of the special events of the on the CHL calendar will be back. Uh, we we still haven't uh, finalized those plans, but we're working on them uh, behind the scenes with the CHL. And uh, some of those events will be held in Western Canada, and some will be held in other parts of Canada. The Quebec League, is for instance, is scheduled to host the Memorial Cup, and mm-hmm. that process is underway. And and um, so I think the, the sight of that look of the this year's Memorial Cup will be determined very soon. And then, we, of course, we have the CIBC Canada-Russia series and our prospects top prospects game to be held. And more details will be coming forward in, uh, in the not-too-distant future as to uh, where those events are going to be held.
1: Ron, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, thank you for, uh, for making time for the Pipeline Show once again and uh, and not ducking some of the tougher questions. I appreciate that as well. And uh, look forward to getting back into the rink this fall.
2: Thanks very much for having me, Guy. Appreciate it.
1: That's Ron Robinson, the commissioner of the Western Hockey League, and I do appreciate his time. And I threw in a couple softballs at the the start, at the end there, but I wanted to ask some difficult questions. The vaccination mandate is a situation I I think the league should do it. I don't know how you, the listener, feels. I imagine there are people who don't want that and others who will also feel that they, they should. It is a situation in the OHL and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, so the precedent is there. We're seeing businesses and and, uh, companies, countries, France, is uh, going about it as well. I think eventually it will become a reality. He feels about 95% of people inside the WHL are already fully vaccinated. Uh, I don't see the downside to mandating it then. But you can tell me. Share your thoughts with me uh, about that on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy is where you can get me there. Uh, One thing I forgot to uh, bring up with him was the playoff format has uh, reverted back to the one versus eight format. So uh, in the conferences, you know, you're not necessarily going to have divisional playoffs in the first round. And I like that as well. So uh, the only downside to that is maybe you get some added travel involved. But, you know, I I think we've seen in the last few years there could be a, a division that has the three best teams in the conference you know, last year, you look, Edmonton and a Medicine Hat were really strong, but there were three or four teams in the East Division that were really strong. And it would have worked, you know, a divisional playoff format would have worked against those uh, those teams in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. At the high end, you would have had a first-round matchup that would have eliminated somebody that probably deserved to get to the next round. Just a personal uh, opinion, but I like the one versus eight instead of the divisional playoffs. All right, up next on the Pipeline show, we're going to speak with the the commissioner of the newest conference in the NCAA, and that is uh, Don Lucia, who uh, uh, has been on the show several times in the past as the head coach at the University of Minnesota with the Golden Gophers. But uh, he left that position two, three years ago now, and now is coming back as the commissioner of the CCHA, as the WCHA is no more. We'll talk to him about that and that transition Next, here on The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey.
4: shot takes a look. Oh takes a look. Oh my! And it's deflected in by Ryan Paling. shot spotted him, set him up for the redirect, and it's now 4 1 St. Cloud State.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Paling from St. Cloud State University, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show.
3: Development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a ninety percent rate. Jonathan Taves, second
2: scores. Wow, what a goal! Joe
3: Pavelski, Score! and Johnny Gaudreau were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at college hockey.
2: Champions
4: of the college hockey world.
1: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Is the cheapest drug there is. Okay, we are back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. Uh, but this segment is our NCAA campus report, and those are always uh, courtesy of our friends over at College Hockey Inc. If you are a player or you have a player in your family, and you're exploring all of your options and you need to know what you can and you, what you can't do to maintain your college eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc. is a great resource for that. You can get in touch with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and they'll steer you in the in the right direction and answer any questions that you might have as well. And for this segment, we are going to talk with the, uh, the commissioner for the CCHA. That is the, uh, the new conference, what's old is new again, the uh, Central Collegiate Hockey Association coming back this year. Remember, the WCHA is no more as we've lost the, uh, the Alaska Seawolves and uh, the Fairbanks Nanooks and, and uh, the Alabama Huntsville Chargers. Uh, those two clubs, the last two clubs I mentioned, are independent this year. But the CCHA is back, and we've got a new team as well uh, joining Division One. so we'll talk about that with the commissioner who is uh, Don Lachia. Welcome back to the program. Uh, I was going to say coach, because every other time you've been on the show, you were the coach at at Minnesota for the longest time. But uh, great to catch up with you once again. How are things?
3: Uh, Great. Thanks very much for for having me on. So, yeah, new role. uh, Don't have the same pressure on game night as the commissioner role as you do with (laughs) with the coach. So it's been fun to be on the other side, of the administrative side of hockey. And as you mentioned, I coach for a long time at the ncaa level and uh, now it's an opportunity to give back and uh, help college hockey move forward
1: well i was looking at your uh your your history it's like four decades you've been involved with the division one hockey now most of that as a head coach obviously but this really is a, a different thing for you How, what is the difference so you know it's obviously you don't have that day-to-day pressure of being on the bench and things like that but i imagine that the passion for college hockey hasn't changed at all
3: no it has not and, and you're exactly right it, it you know, much like managing a team with uh, 26 individuals, now I manage a manager conference with uh, eight institutions and dealing with uh, the the eight coaches, the uh, eight athletic directors, and uh, eight presidents. So uh, that's my team of 24 that that I deal with. But you know, not only within the own uh, own conference, you're worried about trying to get it off the ground here this upcoming season, but then the big you know macro approach where. The concerns of what's going on with college hockey, whether it's growth, officiating, NCAA tournament, uh, a whole host of things. So uh, a different viewpoint uh, than being a coach, but uh, just as gratifying.
1: Well, let's uh, take me back to the start of this for you and and where your involvement came in. Did did the the conference call you or did you express an interest to the powers that be? And and when did this all uh, kind of fall into place for you?
3: Well, it was uh, it was in this probably February, I think uh, uh, two years ago, I was up at our place in Alaska at the time, and I received a phone call from Morris Kurtz, who was helping direct the uh, search for the uh, commissioner's role, and he asked if I would be interested because he's they, had a number of uh, athletic directors and coaches uh, bring my name forward. so i I applied and went through the interview process, and a big part of it for me was, Uh, I wanted to get involved, but only if I was going to get involved with a group of schools that uh, were very committed, and and through my interview process, that was very evident right from the beginning that these institutions, they wanted to try to compete at the highest level, and uh, that's something I wanted to be a part of, and and, uh, so it's been a very uh, rewarding experience so far.
1: How how different will the operation of the CCHA be from the WCHA last year and, and the last few years? Obviously, you mentioned three different programs that won't be with the the conference and a new one coming in. But basically, it's a, largely the the same teams and things like that. Is is the structure much different?
3: Uh, I don't think the structure is going to be much different. I can't really speak to what went on before. Uh, obviously, we're not we're not going to have a league office in one location. You know, a couple of us will be working out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, a couple are in the Detroit area. Okay. So, which which will work good for our league is based on the location of our teams. Uh, and you're right, seven of the uh, eight uh, teams from the CCHA are moved out of the WCHA. And again, I talked about the commitment level they have. Uh, some of the concerns previously were that you know maybe some of the bottom tier teams were dragging the top down. We want to make sure we're a top driven league and. And have high standards that uh, so allow us to compete at the highest levels, just like the teams of spring when Bemidji State and uh, Minnesota State Mankato knocked off Wisconsin and Minnesota in the NCAA tournament. We want to try to compete at the highest levels and do everything we can to, to lead the conference in that direction.
1: Is having a smaller geographical footprint for the for the conference an asset? Like, is that it? A- not a coincidence it's Alabama and the two Alaska schools the the three outlier uh, uh, programs geographically speaking that aren't with the uh, the conference now so is that that was a key part of this
3: yeah I I believe so I mean it was so geographically spread out now it's hard to believe when you look at college hockey in the west we have the tightest footprint Uh, basically you know you have the three Minnesota teams the three UP schools and then Ferris State and Michigan Bowling Green almost on the Michigan border there in, in uh, northwest Ohio. So mm-hmm. uh, it is a much tighter footprint, much more um, conducive to busing. Um few flights mixed in, in in there as well, but more than that, I think it was the 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 seven plus now University of St. Thomas is they're elevated into Division One that are like minded. Uh, they want to try to compete at the high level and kind of banded together to to form this conference with, from pre-existing relationships. So we're excited about that piece of it. Uh, With an eight-team league, it's kind of a nice number. It doesn't mean we wouldn't be open to expansion if a a team fit our geographical footprint and had the same commitment level to our uh, ice hockey program. But we feel very comfortable with the eight teams we have moving forward.
1: All right. Well, that was something I was going to ask you about. Uh, A lot of conferences are are bigger than eight teams. Some aren't. But um, I was going to ask if expansion or adding programs uh, is something down the road that you'd explore. Tell me about St. Thomas, though, coming in. I mean, perfect timing, new conference, and they're within that footprint. And, you know, they're a, it's a new Division I program, but you got an established head coach who's been around for a long time, and Enrico Blasi uh, seems like a really good fit. It,
3: it really is. And, and again, you talk about alignment, and, and we saw that from President Sullivan to Athletic Director uh, Phil Esten to a great hire, Enrico Blasi, who's, you know, longtime NCAA coach. Uh, former coach in, in the CCHA at Miami uh, perfect timing for him to come in and, and start a program being a veteran coach and and uh, that's what we're excited about the location they're in St. Paul Minnesota it's a great uh, private institution and they're going to have a, a real commitment to their all not only all their division one sports but especially ice hockey as they build their foundation and and uh, begin division one hockey here in the fall
1: uh now w- in regards to expansion I I'm, I'm guessing there's probably you want a couple of years to really firmly establish what you have at the moment and there's I don't know if there's any announcements uh, of new uh, programs starting up we've heard about Lindenwood in uh, in the St. Louis area but not really within your footprint so is when you're looking at, ahead if there is teams that are added to your conference you really want them to be within your already established footprint or would a place like Missouri fit for you
3: well, I, I don't think you ever close a door on anybody. Uh, I think in this day and age, you want to bring in a program that's going to uh, enhance your your conference, your visibility. Uh, I, ideally, it'd be within your footprint. Uh, but th- I think the most important thing is that institutional commitment. It, I think what we've seen in our sports, some programs that have come and gone, it, it still gets down to institutional commitment. Uh, the ones that are committed, that have a good facility, that are fully funded, they're, they're the college hockey programs that tend to thrive. The ones that are trying to do it on a shoestring budget, uh, those are the ones that have a very difficult time competing at the level we all hope to compete at. So uh, it's a combination of the, the right school, the right fit, the geographical footprint all plays into it. But I think still the most important thing is that institutional commitment that they have if they want to be a part of this conference.
1: Now, I know when I talk to commissioners from various leagues, whether it's college hockey or, or junior hockey, it seems like uh, the off season. We call it the off season, but that's the busy time of year for for commissioners and for the league to kind of establish and put everything in place. And then once the season starts, well, the season kind of takes over from there. Uh, is that is that true in your case? Is this like busy season for you? And 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 if so, what are you doing uh, right now to get set for the season?
3: Well, I think one of the the, the biggest thing we're trying to do is make sure we you know, have everything set on each individual campus. All the schools have uh, spent uh, a considerable amount of resources to upgrade uh, their facility, upgrade uh, the TV, lighting, uh, cameras are going to be in each of the individual ranks. We want to make sure that they have uh, everything they need to get going. I know Dominic Hennig, who uh, handles our brand management and communications been a big part of uh, making sure that we move in this positive direction. And he, he's, he's the expert at it. So he's really done a, a terrific job of making sure all eight institutions are going to have everything that we need to, to begin our season. But, you know, for us, it's a little unusual because we started new, you know, hiring a new staff, you know, getting new referees in place. So all that's been a big part of it. Now, you know, we still have to, keep an eye out for COVID the impact that's going to have for this upcoming season, Mm -hmm. um, making sure people are vaccinated and all that. So no worries there the hockey component, but you know, we still have to deal with, unfortunately this, this COVID issue moving forward this year, although it sounds like each institution is going to be open to, uh, you know, full capacity as we begin the year here, so we're we're pretty excited about that.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to get to the COVID stuff eventually. Um, I, I know, I, even just I think it was just yesterday, the Winnipeg Jets announced uh, in the NHL that uh, attendance there would only be open to fully vaccinated uh, fans. Uh, I don't know if uh, you can institute that for, on a team by team basis, or if it's if, if the individual universities and colleges have to take care of that. But where do you stand on sort of mandating? full vaccination for uh for players and for fans and and everybody around the program
3: well i mean i think that's a good question i first of all look at myself i had covid last year i've been vaccinated now since that time uh everybody in our league office has been vaccinated i I think one of the things you're seeing in the u.s is they're kind of waiting for full fda federal drug administration approval Mm. Uh, a lot of schools right now have instituted uh Uh, vaccination mandates for students, staff and faculty. Uh, Not all have done that. Uh, I think uh, the the state system in Minnesota uh, is kind of waiting for that FDA approval before they they mandate it. So right now, uh, I think the protocols are more institution by institution, state by state. We'll follow the uh, CDC guidelines, NCAA right now, that. if you have had COVID within 90 days and or now you're vaccinated, you do not have to test. Uh, same thing with our officials. I think we're really looking to move forward with uh, mandating vaccination for our officials uh, just from the standpoint, so they don't have to test when they get on site and also uh, less of a chance that uh, once an official gets on site that uh, they're gonna be knocked out of a weekend series because of it, uh, because of testing positive. So. Same thing with individual teams based on surveys right now. Most of our teams are at about 90% vaccination rates. We hope to get higher than that when the year begins. So we actually have a call with our athletic directors coming up uh, to have more of these discussions of how we want to handle it during the course of the season. But I did actually dominate, did send me a a tweet about Winnipeg uh, yesterday announcing that uh, ruling for their fans. And you're starting to see more of that across the country here. Yeah. Whether it's uh, venues, concerts, uh, being on a college campus, so it, it, it's all to be determined. But hopefully, with the fall sports kicking off uh, in the NCAA here soon, that'll give us some better guidelines moving forward when we, we start playing in October.
1: That also stands for the the, uh, the fans as well. I mean, obviously, the student sections, if they're students and they're mandated at the schools, they'd be they'd be fine. But uh, what about the general public?
3: Again, that's going to be an institutional decision. We as a league will not get involved in that. Uh, This whole host of legal issues that, 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 That are with that, so we'll, we'll, we'll defer and let the, each the communities, uh, the states, uh, and the institutions make those decisions how they want to handle attendance at, at their own institution.
1: Very good. Uh, I was just looking at the website. I see the uh, the pucks have been uh, printed up and delivered to all the programs, and I know the schedules are out. So, what's left now between uh, the now and the, the start of the season?
3: Well, just uh, making sure that we have everything in, in place uh, for that first puck drop. Uh, as I said, uh, between our staff, uh, they've worked extremely hard to, to get to this point. And uh, now if we keep our fingers crossed that, that we can get uh, get everything going and off without a hitch, uh, especially in, in light of, of uh, COVID kind of ramping up again. I think that's probably my biggest fear as we head in the fall that hopefully it will not have uh, implications as far as attendance and everything else for this upcoming season after whatever what all sports went through last year uh, it's nice to have them back um, people back in attendance and as you saw in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year depending on your location there's a, certainly a big difference in, in the fan attendance at, at the, mm-hmm. the different sites so we're hoping that we can be at full capacity we can have a, a, a terrific and, and very competitive year and uh, place a two or three teams in the NCAA tournament come next March. Uh,
1: now, before I let you go, uh, I know I mentioned uh, four decades here involved with Division One hockey, and you started uh, up in Alaska with the, with the Nanex. Um, uh, I know you're there now, aren't you, up in Alaska as well? So you're, you still got ties to the the state and the, the community up there. I imagine you have some some feelings about uh, what the program's, uh, uh, not just in, in Fairbanks, but uh, the, with the Seawolves. Uh, unfortunately, the way things have played out there.
3: Yes, uh, without question that uh, you know they've had some issues with state funding. We do spend our summers up here. My my wife is from Alaska, and we kind of fell in love with it, and uh, caught a lot of salmon this summer, which is always enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, with, as far as the programs are concerned, that the you know the NANX are still going to be playing as an independent. They have a good schedule this year. The uh, Save the Sea Wolves campaign is uh, very close to getting the number of dollars that they needed uh, I think it was three million I the Seattle Kraken have uh, been uh, very helpful in that endeavor they look at Alaska as one of their markets for their their expansion franchise and I give them a lot of credit for uh, the commitment they've made to, to hockey in Alaska and certainly helping the Wolves move forward to their fundraising goals so I am hopeful that both will uh, be playing soon and uh that the Seawolves will come back. Uh, they'll, they won't play this year, but hopefully they can get back playing as a Division One independent a year from now. And that's kind of back to the future because when I was here in the mid '80s, when we elevated from Division Two to Division One, that's where we really became. We were Division One independents before the Nats joined the CCHA and the, and the Seawolves joined the WCHA. And that's if they're ever going to get in a conference again, that's probably the way it would have to be that one would be in each conference versus mm. having teams try to come up here a couple times a year.
1: Right. All right. Well, uh, listen, Don, I really appreciate your time uh, in the offseason like this. I know you're super busy, and uh, yeah, I'll let you go catch some more salmon, but uh, I really appreciate you making time for the Pipeline Show again.
3: Well, happy to be on any time. Thanks for having me.
1: Here's Don Lucia, the uh, new commissioner for the new conference, the CCHA, back for the 2021-22 season, uh, minus uh, the two Alaska schools and Alabama Huntsville, but you add in St. Thomas. Uh, and uh, it's you just look at the geographical uh, map now for the CCHA. It's just nice and tight, and it just seems like it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I feel bad for the two Alaska schools and for uh, for Alabama though, because um, I'm not sure where they fit. They're going to be independents this year. I don't know. I don't know if that's maintainable long term or not, or if they have to find a, a, a conference or some other way to. I mean, listen, Arizona State has made it work thus far we'd hate to see uh, more teams leaving college hockey though all right one more segment to go on this uh, season 17 debut episode of the pipeline show i am scheduled to speak with the new commissioner of the united states hockey league his name is bill robertson let's get to know him next here on the pipeline show brought to you by wilhock beef jerky
3: adam fantilli spins a pass though Samuel oscavich up tie scores the stingray in overtime up high pierces one by Corpy, and chicago wins a thriller four to three mackie
0: samoskevich welcome back stingray hey this is mackie samoskevich from the chicago steel and this is the pipeline show Spruce Grove Saints AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of The Pipeline Show.
4: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy
1: Flaming. That's badass. It is badass. Really cool. Badass, yeah. yeah. We are back on The Pipeline Show as we uh, kick off Season 17 of the program, and we've got one more guest to get to. Of course, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey, the best beef turkey in Alberta. For this segment, we're heading south of our border uh, to the United States and to the home of the USHL as we welcome new commissioner to the league, Bill Robertson. Uh, welcome to the program, Bill. How are you?
5: I'm doing great, Key. Glad to be with you.
1: Oh, I appreciate you making time in the offseason like this. I, I've chatted with a couple of commissioners from other leagues this week, and I'm quickly learning, and in the past I figured it out as well, that what we consider to be the offseason might actually be the busy time of year for the league uh, and for, for you as the commissioner, you get everything set up to go for the season. And then once the season starts, well, kind of takes care of itself. But uh, how busy are you these days?
5: Well, there, it's twofold for me. Uh, the off season, when you're not playing games, is a time when you do a lot of the business transactions with each of the franchises. But at the same time, for me, I'm new in this role as the new president and commissioner of the United States Hockey League. So it's a little bit different. Um, and I'm, you know, I have a learning curve. I'm trying to listen and, and learn as much as I can as I go. I, I came from the college ranks with the WCHA as their commissioner.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: So the, the transition of, of understanding the, the nuances is, is not a big problem, but just getting to know all the franchises and how the business of the USHL works is a bit different than it was at the WCHA.
1: Well, maybe let's start with that and and where the uh, or when the USHL sort of came into picture for you. How did you get involved with the league?
5: Well, the former commissioner, Mr. Tom Garrity, who's a good Mm -hmm. friend, told me that he was going to be moving on and they were going to be looking for a new commissioner at the end of this past year. And I knew that the WCHA was not going to continue forward after after this season because several of the teams left to form a new conference.
0: Right, so
5: I was looking for an opportunity where I could stay, and I'm based in Bloomington, Minnesota, uh, so I wanted to stay uh, in my own hometown and area where I'm living. And this opportunity, as I started talking to people in the USHL and started interviewing in the spring, um, it became apparent that this would be a really cool and fun opportunity for me to carry on my uh, career in the great sport of hockey.
1: So you get to work out of Minnesota, but the the league is headquartered in Chicago. That's a a nice fit for you though, that you get to work from home.
5: Well, it is, but uh, technically, you know, our staff at the USHL are all over the country. We have uh, people in myself in Minnesota, then we have a couple people in Chicago, we have some in New York, we have some in Dallas, and we even have a, our head of uh, player safety who lives in Spokane, Washington. So okay. we're pretty spread as far as the staff is concerned. They used to have offices in Chicago, but they no longer have those offices any longer.
1: I see. All right. Well, that's the way the world has changed here in the last few years. Uh, no question about that. Uh, all right, Bill, let, tell me about – it sounded like you were still learning as, about the league here, so you, not a whole lot of exposure to the USHL up until this opportunity, is that fair to say?
5: Not, not, no, not necessarily, but uh, you know, the, the, when I came, t- came to the job, um, I looked at a lot of the college rosters, including all the teams that played in the WCHA, and there were 10 men's schools that were playing hockey, and there were so many players coming out of the USHL that would uh, be on these, these rosters for these uh, universities. So mm. I knew a lot about it. I just don't know all the, all the people associated with, with the league. There's six new coaches coming in this year and, you know, there's always change over in, in things like this. So for me, it's getting to know the people and, and, and learning more about how the league operates. And that's what I'm doing right now in the summer months before we start playing hockey and, Training camps will start in early September, and we'll drop the puck in early October. So it'll be a very interesting time for me, a very exciting time too, for that matter.
1: Bill Robertson is my guest. Uh, he is the new president and commissioner of the uh, United States Hockey League. Uh, here on the Pipeline Show, I was just looking over your sort of your bio that's uh, available on the USHL's website, and I see you've worked at NHL teams, including the the Mighty Ducks and the, the Minnesota Wild, and major league baseball as well as in the nba and disney so you've certainly been around one of the the common traits i would think from all of those is fan experience and and getting the fans to to be more involved is that a focus of yours for the ushl this coming season
5: yes it is i mean coming off a year when we had a pandemic and or hopefully we're moving forward uh, on that front
1: right um, i'm
5: very hopeful that uh, you cautiously optimistic is the right word that we're going to be able to move forward, and we're going to have lots of fans in the stands this year starting in october, and that's the goal. Um, but you know I, I I don't have control over the pandemic situation and what happens with this crazy virus. But I would say that uh, getting fans back in the stands and getting more publicity. Uh, for our league are are two of the things that I really am trying to highlight this year. Um, And I'm hopeful we can do that. And, you know, we're coming off a year where they had great finals between Fargo and Chicago. And we're coming off a situation where we had 50 players drafted in the NHL uh, in the past uh, NHL entry draft that just happened a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, a wonderful league that has a lot to offer and we need to get the word out uh, even further. It's tier one junior hockey. And we believe it is the premier junior league in all of North America and having 50 players drafted is, is a great sign that there's a lot of success in this league.
1: So how do you go about getting the word out? Uh, what are some of your, your ideas or plans? If, if you can share them with us.
5: Sure. I, I think that, I think some of the things is, is, uh, A regular schedule of social media activities, uh, releases, uh, more information on our website. Uh, Those are the kind of things I'll be working for. Looking at our our streaming platform and seeing if we need to make uh, additional changes there. Those are all things, and I have a background in that from my days with the Mighty Ducks and the Angels and the Wild and the Timberwolves. So I understand that area probably better than most. So for me, I'm going to be looking at those ways, working with our staff to uh, to uh, enhance what has already been done.
1: All right. Exciting. Uh, what about TV? Uh, I know you mentioned the streaming package, but maybe not a national TV package. But are, are some of the games broadcast on local television?
5: They uh, are not right now. There are not games they are all done on streaming at this point, And I will be looking at that as I go forward, I started in mid July, this job. So I just started to get my feet wet and talking to a few people in the United States about, is there, is there an appetite to do this uh, on television and what is the cost evaluation of, 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 presenting college, uh, excuse me, a junior hockey on, on TV. And, uh, I'd love to see that down the road that we could have a package of games that could be presented to the great fans of this league, uh, whether they're coming from uh, the U.S. or Canada or wherever it is in this world, that they have a chance to watch this great product.
1: Oh, we'll touch on the uh, the international stuff here in a second as well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think some of the, the showcase events are broadcast, maybe on the NHL network, like the I don't know if the fall classic is or not, but the prospect game, I believe, was.
5: Yes, the prospect game was, and, and I, there's snippets in the fall classic that's coming up in September in Pittsburgh this year that we hope the NHL network will be a part of.
1: Okay, terrific. Um, you mentioned the getting the fans back into the building, and, and I agree with you. Knock on wood that uh, all leagues everywhere can get the fans back in the building. I know there seems to be a growing push uh, about uh, mandating vaccinations for not just uh, for, for teams and players, but also for fans. I see the Winnipeg Jets earlier this week at the NHL level said attendance will only be available for, for those who have been fully vaccinated. What's the USHL standpoint on that or yours personally?
5: Well, we're still working on that, but, uh, you know, it's my my belief, and we're working through our own USHL COVID task force uh, trying to push this forward, but we, we want all our players to be vaccinated. And what we're hearing right now is there's been great success in each of the teams working on their own, uh, talking to their players well in advance to have them vaccinated by the time they get to camp or by the time they start the regular season. So we're hopeful that the majority of these players that are coming to the USHL will be vaccinated and we won't have that, that situation. As far as what the teams are doing, that's all individualized by, the state, the county, and the cities that they're in uh, what's going to be expected. But uh, I don't think we can mandate here in the U.S. that if you go to attend a game, you have to be vaccinated. But we certainly, in my mind, proactively, we want our fans and, and, uh, to come to a safe environment, and we want our players to play in a great environment as well. So I'm a fan and proponent of having players vaccinated.
1: Okay, Bill Robertson from the USHL, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, the international component of this league, it just seems like every year there are more and more, not just Canadians, but Europeans coming over and playing in the USHL and moving on to the NCAA. How do you further grow that uh, aspect of the league? And I know each there is a, a rule for um, for import players. Do you adjust that moving forward because of the growing interest?
5: I, I think we'll look at that. But uh, again, our, our shield and our name says United States Hockey League. So we want to make sure we're taking care of U.S. players as best we can and help develop them so they can go on and play college hockey at Division One or Division Three levels and then hopefully someday play at a higher level professionally, whether that's in, in the NHL or playing in, in Europe. But uh, it, it's my hope that we're going to evaluate that that scenario to see if we need to make changes or tweaks and how many, how many players can come abroad into, into our league. Uh,
1: What's your feeling on expansion? There are, what do you have? 16 teams now Madcaps will be back in operation again this year after taking last season off. Uh, Are you comfortable with 16 or would you you like to see that grow?
5: Well, I think over time um, I'd like to see us expand. Um, But I think the first and foremost scenario is all 16 teams need to be doing well financially before we just start biting off expansion. Um, Since I started this job in the first week, I've had calls from people all over the U S wanting uh, information and to talk about what it costs to join the league. Uh, We'd love to look at an expansion franchise and I'm open to all those conversations because I would never say no But I think we have to have a plan in place to make that work properly. But I am a fan of expansion down the road here. And if there's an opportunity where uh, we could get like two teams into an area. So when you're traveling, there's a destination place, especially if you're going out west or out east or down south, that there's like two teams uh, at a minimum in that area. So when you're traveling, there's not just going to one city Um, for efficiency reasons and financial reasons it's better to have two
1: yeah that that makes sense to me although how far could you expand outside of your existing footprint it it is it's a the league where the players bus around you wouldn't want to spend too much time uh, traveling from place to place if you're going to expand how much could you expand the current footprint or would you like locations that are kind of within your footprint currently
5: I think ideally we like to have them in our footprint, but uh, that's not to say we could not have them in other parts of the country. And I have been approached by people on the West coast and in other places. And I think that would be a very good thing for these young people to be able to experience playing in different markets like this as they move on in their careers. So for me, I think it's a, a fabulous idea if we could now, what, w- what would have to happen too, is we may have to form, you know, right now they have an east and west division, and we may have to have something a little bit different that works out. So you're not having to travel all the time. Um, uh, it's not, it wouldn't be fair to have just a, a few teams traveling uh, at long distances. But I, I believe there is a solution to this, and we can expand, but it needs to be crafted in a very strategic way.
1: Well, it's not that long ago. There was another team in Illinois with the, uh, well, well, now I'm forgetting the name of them, Bloomington. Was it Bloomington in Illinois, the the Thunder?
5: Uh, in Minnesota, we had uh, several teams. There was a team in St. Paul, there was a team in Bloomington, and there was a team in Rochester at one point. And that's where the USHL started, and there's no teams in the state of Minnesota, which yeah, to me seems, seems odd because it is a, a place where hockey flourishes. It's like Canada where you're at where hockey is everything. And and in this state, hockey is a huge, huge uh, opportunity at both the amateur level and the professional level. And and I'm hopeful that that could be a possibility as well to have some teams in Minnesota.
1: Well, even I know how big U.S. high school hockey is in Minnesota. In the state of Minnesota, high school hockey is king. And I know there are players who leave to go play in the USHL or, or in other places like up here in the Western Hockey League and those players that leave high school, they kind of get shunned a little bit. It might be a, a bit of an uphill battle there to get a, a USHL team in Minnesota for whatever reason. But do you see that as a challenge?
5: Well, I, I think that there's always challenges. I think an, another challenge is having an arena uh, where they can play uh, their schedule. We play 62 regular season games. So, and you have to have a place where the young men can practice. So right. that's another whole situation on top of just find the right location. And it may not be necessarily in the Twin Cities. It could be in other parts of the state as well. Um, But I think the Minnesota marketplace would be fabulous for the USHL to expand at some
1: point. And uh, again, not that long ago, the Indiana Ice uh, were around as well. And I know that they went into sort of mothballs. Jeez, that seems like it's about five or six years ago. It might even be longer than that now. But I don't know if there are dormant franchises like that that might uh, stand a chance of coming back.
5: Well, you never know. You never know where we're going to end up. But I'm I've certainly starting to take a look at that, and uh, you're certainly not going to see anything right away in in this first year. But over time, right. I think there's a chance that we could see expansion for the USHL.
1: If you had a list of uh, other things to check off on your to do list, uh, are there uh, you know is an extensive list for you or?
5: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of things. Understanding the budgets. Uh, for our league, and uh, we have relationships, very close relationships, with the National Hockey League and with uh, USA Hockey. So we need to keep those uh, as as prevalent and in front of us as possible. So I will continue to work. And I have those relationships built in already at the NHL level because I had worked for both the Mighty Ducks at the time and and the Minnesota Wild. So mm-hmm. I have those relationships. I also uh, worked the Olympics in 2002 and 2006 for Team USA, both men's and women's hockey, um, and did did those for uh, USA Hockey. So I know a lot of the same people that are still around uh, on that side. So we'll be, I'll be continuing to develop those relationships with those people, um, and just like I said, I mean, getting to know 16 teams takes a lot of work.
1: Yeah. I, I can imagine uh, when do camps open and uh, I guess the, the fall showcase probably kicks things off.
5: Yep. Yes, it does. The training camp start the first week of September. And then uh, the, uh, the showcase event is in Pittsburgh. I believe it starts on the twenty twenty third 23rd of September. And we'll be going for that entire I think that's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday event in Pittsburgh. And it's one of the crowning jewels of our league where every team gets showcased and there's college scouts and there's NHL scouts all there. Plus there's a youth component to it as well. And I look forward to seeing it for the first time. I never was able to see it when I worked in college hockey or the NHL, because we were busy in training camps or busy ready for the start of the year. So this will be my first forte into watching our staff work in Pittsburgh, putting on this huge event.
1: Well, knock on wood, everything gets uh, going uh, smoothly and we can get back to normal. Uh, Bill, I really appreciate your time in the off season like this. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. I hope you don't mind if I call you again during the year.
5: Happy to come on anytime and thank you for supporting the United States Hockey League.
1: The new commissioner of the USHL, that's Bill Robertson. And I appreciate his time as always, especially with the commissioners and stuff in the off season. As I mentioned, it, it seems like it is in the summer months or between seasons that all the heavy lifting gets done by the commissioners and the leagues and then once the season starts everything kind of just unfolds from there and there might be some some things that pop up from time to time but uh, the the big work is done in the off season by the commissioners so I appreciate whenever they make time for the Pipeline show uh, lots to look forward to in the USHL this year mentioned at the start of the show how many different coaches are behind the benches almost half the league has a new coach to start this coming season it's cleanup time on the Pipeline Show as we wrap things up for the week. And that brings me to the subject of bidets. Get yourself a bidet, everybody. Holy cow. I can't believe how many people still don't have a bidet. Once you have one, you go to somebody else's house and you're like, oh, my gosh, how, how do these people not have a bidet? HelloTushy.com Pipeline. Get your bidet today. Let me know if you've done it and uh, I'll retweet it. We'll tag Tushy in that tweet as well. It's better for you. It's better for the environment. The thing pays for itself just in the amount of money you're going to save on toilet paper. It's fantastic. There's a reason bidets are so popular around the world, North America. Just uh, catching up to everybody else in that regard. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. Get yourself an extra 10% off just like that. Big shout out to everybody who is uh, helping support the program via Patreon at Patreon.com slash the pipeline. Show your support means the world to me giving you a heads up uh, on who's about to come on the show so you can submit your questions ahead of time. Also, you get to hear those conversations one, two, sometimes three days before the full episodes uh, are released to the general public. So I hope you're enjoying those perks. If you haven't explored becoming a patron yet, why don't you do that? Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show. Wherever you're getting your copy of the program from, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or or the Podbean, however you do it, If you have a chance to leave a comment or a rating or both, uh, I would encourage you to do that as well. It goes a long way into introducing new listeners to the program, which is always great. You can follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy if you're not already. Let me know where you're listening from and how you've heard or found out about the show and when you started listening. I always uh, enjoy hearing comments like that. Next week on the program... The scheduled to speak with a few other commissioners. I, I did reach out to one earlier this week, said he couldn't do it this week, but hopes he could do it maybe next week or the week after, so we'll try to do that. Uh, but uh, you know, at this time of year, we always get into the WHL team-by-team previews. Probably not next week, but the week after that will start. So another week of uh, reaching out to some of the league commissioners, find out what's happening in their respective uh, junior hockey or college hockey loops, and uh, get you set up for the upcoming season. And with that, I wish you a good weekend, we'll talk to you next week here on The Pipeline Show as we continue with a brand new season, Season 17 of The Pipeline Show. Until then, my name's Keith Flaming. See ya.